0: having to hold from this day forward. You got me on, Jason? Very good. There we go. Wow. It's working. Thank you so much. It's so interesting to get to see it here now. We see up on the front screen today, we're going to talk about fatherhood, okay? And this is not a day to go on a guilt trip It's not on a day to think, oh, gee, I failed as a father. You know, all of us feel in ways that we did or that we could have done it better. You know why? Because we're not perfect. And that is where the grace of the Lord covers all. And the Bible is very clear that God is the father to the fatherless. He's even a father to those of us who are sometimes clueless when we're trying to be fathers. It was me sometimes. But I did the best I could, and I tried to do things that you're kind of going to see here today that I never really put them all together till this week. Uh, I don't usually do topical things, but I just felt like this is something I wanted to address today. This is called the Shema Israel. Shema means here, or listen. We could say, listen, Travis. Listen, Tyler. Listen, Faber. Listen, Devin. Listen, Randy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and love the Lord God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and it goes on and it talks about impressing these on the hearts of our children. If you have your Bible, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which will be our text today. God has a way that he creates the solution instead of the problem, okay? We create these problems, and I, I have heard it said that it is easier to build a boy than it is to repair a man. Can you say amen to that? I mean, really. uh, When I told that to Larry, he said, man, that's profound. I said, I wish I had thought it up. I didn't. I saw that. It's easier to build a girl than it is to repair a broken woman. And we wonder how it is that we can do this thing better called fatherhood. And I wanted to talk about fatherhood. And I wanted to preface it by saying some women have had to be fathers. Rita recounted to me how she ended up having to be a father for, she didn't even share the circumstances, but ended up raising those boys uh, without a man in the home. We know that's the same with Cassandra, whose husband died when she was in her 30s, okay? She had to raise Shane just with the help of the Lord. In our men's group, we've been studying a book called Wild at Heart, and it's by uh, a guy named Eldridge, John Eldridge. And basically, the premise of the book says that God made men with a certain wildness in them and he desires to use that wildness that's within men for his glory. You know, we get this idea that somehow as Christians were to become manbypamby men and and weakling men and feminized men, but that is not God's desire for man, okay? Masculine men are now villainized by modern western society. You can see it. I mean, I don't I haven't watched TV in 25 years, but from what I understand, people tell me that everything on all these shows never portray a father as having any good sense or knowing what's best. I do remember back in the 1960s, there was a uh, show on that said, Father Knows Best. It, wasn't there? Well, now the the idea is Father Knows Nothing, right? And nothing that Father has to say is worth listening to. I want to say this, that if the if men are feminized in the American cultural... Uh, godlessness. Let's just put it that way. I don't even want to call it the right or the left. Just this idea of godlessness, if it takes over, then it wants to emasculate men where men don't have the role and they don't have the nature that God put in them. There's nothing more beautiful than a man who is a masculine male who is controlled by the Holy Spirit who is wild at heart, who is doing what God intended for him to do and intending for him to raise his children and to lead his home in the way that God wants that to happen. I think it's a satanic attack on our country. I think the attack on man is, a, is an attack that comes from the evil realm. If a man can be fem- feminized, then the family structure, structure will implode. And when it implodes, society implodes and it's destroyed y'all may know this is uh, Homer Simpson. The idea now of dads in the family is kind of a Homer Simpson who's preoccupied with drinking beer and eating donuts, okay? He has nothing worth listening to. And the sad thing is, is that many, many, many of us have had nothing worth listening to because we have drifted from the Lord and we have not done the things that the Lord commanded us to do in the leadership of our homes, we have to remember before we beat up on ourselves saying, man, I missed the mark. I'm going out of here today feeling like I'm a failure. The only father that is totally steadfast and true is our heavenly father. The rest of us can try with the, to be the kind of men that we need to be through the guidance and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. God is a loving father upon whom we can thoroughly depend. I'm quoting that off of a gravestone over here in the Whitehall Fairview Cemetery, it talks about this guy Anderson. It says, he was a man upon whom that all who knew him could thoroughly depend. All right, that's a pretty big deal to say. And I like to think that God is a God upon whom we can thoroughly depend, especially in the things of fatherhood. The father absence is a crisis in America. As I prepared this sermon, I began to study statistics, and I was actually shocked, and I don't shock very easily, as a Retired lawyer who did criminal defense work, I heard everything you could possibly imagine. When people come to me, I tell them, don't worry, you can share everything with me because I've heard way worse than whatever you're going to tell me. 25% of girls and boys raised in America now do not have a father in the home. 33% of all children, that's mixing all the races and just taking the mean, are born outside of marriage. I say that instead of outside of wedlock because many young people don't even know what wedlock means. But it means that no marriage happens, and, it, and it's peculiar. You'll see the whole family congratulate, oh, this is wonderful. And nobody ever says, well, wait a minute, there's no dad or no, there's not a dad and a mom in this family. This is a tragedy. We should weep and say, what can I do to help, right? And then this is the one that shocked me most of all. Eighty-five percent of young men that are incarcerated in America grew up in a home that was absent a father. Guys, that is a shocker. Did anybody in here, if you knew that, raise your hand, because I did not know that. And we have young men that have come through this church who have ended up being incarcerated. They're going to get this written sermon when Linda Bell sends it out to them tomorrow. And in all of those cases, they either grew up without a father or a father that was dysfunctional as perhaps an alcoholic who it might have been better if he hadn't even been there. Uh, that is the giant problem in America, and it's when people have gotten away from what God intended. Now, curiously enough, there's not a lot of good examples of great fathers in the Bible. Can you all think of any? I asked someone the other day, maybe it was you, Larry, and you said, well, how about Job? You know, I don't know anybody in here that wants to be Job. I don't want to be Job, you know. Uh, But it's kind of interesting. We see that, you know, Adam Was passive. There he was, and in our book, Wild at Heart, we see that he stood by while Eve was tempted and was uh, tricked by the serpent. He was a passive person. Uh, Adam didn't step up and do what he should have done. He should have seen the snake and run it off, you know, uh, talk nasty to it and run it off, but he didn't do it. He was passive. We know that he raised in his home Cain, who ended up being a murderer. Cain was raised at Adam's kitchen table. Abraham who first was Abram, and then God gave him a name Abraham. So it doesn't mean God hates all these people. I'm just showing you how we don't have great examples. Abraham was a liar. Whenever he got into a tight spot, he just tried to lie his way out of it. Jacob was a schemer. We've, we've I don't want to go through it all, but the story of Jacob is astonishing that anybody so horrible, who was such a trickster, who was always trying to rip people off and scheme and do all these kind of things... That God would end up saying, I am choosing you to bring forth the 12 tribes of Israel, and I'm going to change your name to Israel. And yet he was Jacob. God had a different name for him, Larry, as we study today. David was a disaster. David was a terrible father. He did horrible things. We know about Bathsheba, that was just the tip of the iceberg. And yet God looked down on David and he said, David is a man. After my own heart, it shows that God never gives up on us, even if we're a failure. And believe me, I don't know any dad in here who has done things as bad as as David did. I don't. So God gave us some comparisons that can, in one way, make us not feel so bad about ourselves, right? So, what should a great father look like? We're going to look in this Deuteronomy chapter six scripture today, and I'm going to pull out of it three directives to the fathers in this room, and I kind of would extend it out and say, fathers, yes, but even parents. So, I'm saying, mothers, listen closely, because if you're the helpmate, then you're there to help the father bring about these things. There's three things. Number one, oh, good, you can see them right through those colors. I did a color scheme this week. Love your God with all of your being, and I'm stressing the your God and with all of your being. That means of all who you are, and we're going to look at that closely. Secondly, learn the truths of his word and know his commandments personally. It's not knowing just about God, but it's knowing him personally, and that it's not only knowing about his word, but it's getting it off the shelf and getting it into your heart. Because it is through the study of God's Word that we learn of the essence of God. That means who He is. We learn of the promises of God. We learn of the character of God. That's how we get to know God. And then thirdly, we are to lead our kids diligently, teaching them these principles that we ourselves have applied personally to our lives that have become real to us, okay? This is what the Word tells us to do. Now, this is the commandment. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. This is our text for today. These are the statutes, okay, and judgments. That means this is the the laws and the rules and the regulations that God's setting forth, which God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So he's saying, I'm going to send you to a promised land, and it's going to work for you. If you follow these rules, number two, verse two, that you may fear the Lord, your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and your son and your grandson. We see this generational teaching that God wants to happen in our homes. All the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, God of your fathers, has promised you. What has he promised? A land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel. This is the Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then here we go. This is verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Verse 6. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart, that was principle number two, and the third one, verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, I'm thinking of our own, when you're up late, late at night, as we did last night and the night before with our children, when you're having snacks together, when you're having coffee together, when you're having, we, we, we have this coffee machine and we talk about dopio all the time. It's one of the selections on there. When you're doing those things and sitting down, you're talking to the Lord. And when you rise up, eight, you will bind them as a sign on your hand. They will be frontlets between your eyes. You will write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let us pray. Lord, your word is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, Lord, now let us understand your heart and your being, Lord, as we see what you ask us as fathers to do. Lord, I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. In these verses 1 through 3, he's telling us the importance of understanding and obeying commandments as they went into the promised land. And he talks about the law and these things that they're to learn. What is the Torah I asked Wednesday night, is the Torah, if you think the Torah means the Ten Commandments, raise your hand. Okay, I want to catch somebody. I got caught, no one. Do you think the Torah is the 613 laws? And in about 300 AD, a rabbi said, you know, we need to expand that out to 613. No, those are not Torah. Torah in Hebrew means instruction. It is God's instruction. So, when we study God's Word, Tim, when we study the story of Adam and Eve, that's instruction. We learn from it. When we study the the story, Daryl, of Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees and coming down to a land he didn't know and only knowing that God would be there when he got there, that is God's instruction. Do you all see? We've mistranslated that and called it the law, and it confuses it. It's the first five books of the Bible that we learn, as Paul says, we study these things so that we won't fall into similar sins, okay? We don't learn them how to do sacrifices and things, but we learn them for a purpose. They're part of God's law. As Dr. House reminds us, this was the Bible when Jesus was on planet Earth with his disciples, was, was what we call now the Tanakh, which included the Torah. And then we heard that part about generational instruction, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life. Last Sunday, Alex called me, and he listens to the podcast every Monday, so he'll hear this tomorrow. And he said, Dad, tell me about when your granddad came to Jesus. Tell me about when granddad came to Jesus. Tell me again about when you came to faith in Christ. And it was wonderful because I got to share with him how the faith of my grandfather, really actually it was the faith of, my dad that kind of went up to my granddad. And I've told the story sometimes that, that Doug's daddy and my daddy were brothers. and they went, a little neighbor invited them to go to vacation Bible school together. They lived in West university place down in Houston and their parents, the granddad was a a nominal Catholic. Okay. He was an Irish coal miner from Pennsylvania, grew up in Catholicism and just became a nothing when he left home. My grandmother was from Joplin, Missouri, Tim, and she was a good Presbyterian that got away from home and never had any interest in anything spiritual. And these two boys were invited, Sam, by a neighbor who took them to vacation Bible school, who told them about the fact that they were sinners and needed to be saved. They accepted the Lord and went home and told their parents, who were so convicted by Roswald and Faber's testimony, that they came to church with them and they accepted the Lord. And all on one day they were all baptized. Isn't that a cool thing? So I got to tell Alex, Alex, this is a legacy of our family. This is a legacy of how you now will pass that on to Freya and on to any son that you might have. And God says, teach it to your sons. Teach it to your grandsons. And I'm saying that to us as fathers that maybe didn't quite get it right with our own kids, but you know what? We got a second shot at the apple with our grandkids. To raise them in the instruction of the Lord, to tell them the Bible stories. I think I heard you in the other room telling a Bible, singing a something to about Jesus to Freya yesterday. I don't remember. You were. But it just comes. She was so exhausted, but it comes out of us. It's our chance, guys that are older, to have this and do this again. Verses four and five are just the Shema Israel. This is kind of a cool graphic, so I just wanted to show it, but I want to show it to you there in the Hebrew. You can read it right to left. I'm starting up there. It says, Shema Israel, and it says, Yahweh, Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. The Jews say, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And what that means is here, oh, that part says, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and then it goes on with that part that Jesus quotes to the lawyer when he asks him what's the greatest commandment. So what this is saying or what this is done, this is the holiest statement in Judaism. And Orthodox religious Jews say this when they get up and they say this when they go to bed. It's kind of reminded me of Scott telling us about the priest that told you to look under the bed for your shoes first thing in the morning because you'll get down on your knees. Wouldn't that be great this week if each of us could just Tomorrow morning, have the first thing where we slip down on our knees by our bed. Problem is, some of us couldn't get up with our crowd. But maybe in your mind, slip down. Don't do it, Linda. I saw saw her hitting Don on the shoulder there. But maybe an attitude. Maybe the first thing is before we ever get off that pillow, saying, Lord, I love you. I want to love you today with all my heart. Lord, I want to just do what you want me to do. Guide every step that I do today, Lord. I love you in Jesus' name. And then before you go to bed, say, Lord, I thank you that you guided every step that I took today. Lord, I thank you that I'm worn out. Lord, I thank you that I can go to sleep now and I can rest. Lord, bless my sleep in Jesus' name. That is what we can have on our lips both morning and night. And then he says, you are to love the Lord your God. This is the first principle of fatherhood. Verse 5, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And when we stumble with these, I've noticed that people go, was it might or is it strength? Uh, What is my heart? What is my mind? It's really pretty simple. Let me show it to you. Directive number one, love your God with all of your being. That means, Diane, love him with all that you are and with all that you have. That's what he's saying. The Hebrew word for love uh, love there is lev or heart. I mean, lev. It almost sounds like love. And what that means in Hebrew is both your intellect and your emotions, okay? It's, it's the, the mind and the heart are the same thing. So there's not a big distinction here. But I like to think of this Lev as really loving him with the intellect and with your mind. In other words, everything that's rational and logical, you love him with that. And then secondly, you love him with your nephesh. This is the living inner part that we have translated as your soul, it's your life, it's yourself, it's your person, it's your passions, it's your appetites, it's your desires. I think of it as kind of what our soul is. It's the part of us that's our personality. And God's saying, love me with all of your mind, that logical part. Then love me with all of your fears and your worries. And love me, lay that all before me. Just give it all to me. And thirdly, we translate incorrectly because we have no way to say this, love me with your strength. In the word in Hebrew there is meod. Meod just merely means very. So God is saying, love me with all of your mind, Devin. Love me with love me with all of your passion, and then love me with your very. That's kind of strange, isn't it? We've talked for two days about what that means. Meod is the it's an adverb, it's not a noun. It's what you say before tov. Meod tov means very good, okay? in Hebrew. So what is it that God's saying? He's just love me completely with all of your completeness. That's the kind of first requirement really to be the kind of father that I need to be or that you need to be, Travis, to just fall in love with God totally. Yeah, I know you got to go to work, but you know, where all of the things of God surround your heart and your mind and your feet and you're walking, and that's what we're going to get into with this hand business and this forehead business and this doorpost and the pathway and all that. Verse 6, directive number two, learn the truth personally. I've already said it, and I'm going to repeat it now. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. They have to be in your heart, and they have to be in your mind. If you don't have them in you, then you can't share them, right? If I didn't begin to take God's Word and try to apply it and understand it, Daryl, to where I knew what it was saying to me, I couldn't then look at Faber when he was struggling with certain things and say, Faber, God has this one. Give it to him. I could say that because I had experienced it, okay? It's a kind of experiential understanding of the truth. And we get that through the Word of God. We learn the truth from His Word, We must know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So, the first step is knowing Jesus. Then you know truth. You can pass on truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, your word is truth. We discount, that means we make unimportant the importance of knowing God's word, y'all. We really do. We talk about the Bible, but we leave the Bible on on the table. It gathers dust. And we don't realize how precious it is that every day we ought to get something from our Bible. Don't let a day go by that you don't have a hunger for God's Word. One of you all in here told me, he said, you know, I first had to kind of make myself read the Bible. And now I pick up my Bible first thing in the morning. It's what I want to do. And I look up and so much time's gone by, I can't even believe it. Because it's the desire that's in me as a new creation. Follow that desire, okay? Okay. Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11 are some of my favorites. With my whole heart, Lord, I have sought you. Are you seeking God with your whole heart? Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we put God's word in our hearts, Noah, what happens, it is like an operating system that gets downloaded into your brain. Hebrews 4.12, the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is alive it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces down between your soul and the spirits as close as that little piece between your joints and your marrow, wherever that is. And then it says, it is a discerner or a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you have God's Word in you, it becomes the check on you. It's running in the background as your operating system, okay? It's running there urging you to do the things that you should do, convicting you of the things that you shouldn't be doing, It's in there, right? That's God's Word is within you. Verse 7, directive number three, you shall teach them diligently. Diligently means intentionally. Diligently means it's hard work. Most of us don't teach our kids because it's hard work. It's just easier to go cut that thing with the chainsaw myself instead of having my kid cut his arm off, right? But that's not how they learn. He says, you teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit down in your house at the kitchen table, or when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. I'm thrilled that my kids come home. They want to talk to us about the deep spiritual things of God. And it's interesting that he says, you shall do this. It is not the youth pastor who's going to communicate to your children spiritual truth. He might do some, but not what they need. It is not summer camp that's going to give them everything they need. Heather, even though you're going and you're giving your time, it's not Mr. Brinkley, the Sunday school teacher. Years ago, Faber had kind of a learning difficulty. I don't even want to call it a disability. He would read, and it wouldn't go into his brain. He didn't. He would read it and go, Dad, I don't know what I've read. I did that kind of too. Has anybody in here had that when they were growing up? You would read it, and, and I had to almost go to read out loud where I could hear it and hear it through my ears instead of inside of my brain. And I was so frustrated. Every night, Faber, uh, Faber would sit down. Sandy and I read him everything he learned till he was in eighth grade. And then something turned on in his brain. He could read and he could, he could comprehend. I went to Mrs. Walters, my, my third grade teacher. She was teaching Faber. And I said, Mrs. Walters, I said, it's taking me three hours a night to get Faber through this work. It's killing me. Uh, I don't know what to do. And she looked at me and she goes, well, what do you think your job is? Boy, I said, yes, Mrs. Walters, I'll go home and redo him. <laughs> uh, what she was telling me was, you need to get your priorities straight. I wanted to get home and kick my feet up and relax because I had had a hard day. You know what? That wasn't my first job at Driller Supply. My first job was there at night reading to my son Faber so that he could end up going to A&M, getting a degree in chemistry and getting a master's degree in software engineering. You know, and when he was little, they said, I even was told by one doctor he would probably have to be institutionalized. Isn't that crazy? When we listen to the world instead of listen to what God tells us to do, to be diligent. It's inter- This is a little interesting uh, Mishnah I want to give you here, a little teaching inside of the teaching. The word parents in Hebrew is horim. You go, okay, that's interesting, Horim. It's built from a Hebrew root word, that shares the same root word with more, that means teacher. I'm sure you know this, Doctor House. So, but bear with me. It's interesting because both of these come from the Hebrew word to shoot or to cast. That's "yirah." See it, where it says cast or shoot. It's a, and it's so interesting. "Yirah" also means to be shot and then to be received. It's a very graphic example of what happens when you become a parent. Okay, and that is why. And it's interesting because that word moray is teacher and the word horim uh, is parent. God intends for parents to be the number one teachers of children, not the state. I've told people when you see the state taking your kids' brains, get them away from the state. That's why some of us have had to resort to homeschooling and sorts of things like that. Okay? We are to be the teachers. The Babylonian Talmud, this is a collection of writings that were put together at the time of Babylon, said that a father had certain obligations to his child. I'm kind of finishing up here with this. He's obligated to regard, it says to circumcise him, to redeem him if he's the firstborn, to teach him Torah. What is Torah? God's instructions, yeah. And to marry him to a woman, it says to a woman, to teach him a trade. And some say a father is also obligated to teach his son to swim. You laugh. Isn't that funny? Teach his son to swim. The Jewish mind was preoccupied with the waters. Waters, even the Jewish letter for for M, a mem, we call it, is a wave. Mem is chaos. The water was seen as chaotic. It was a scary place. So, perhaps what that is really saying is a father is obligated to teach his son how to swim through the complications and the problems of life. All right? To get out of the chaos and to get into the order of God. That's what Alex supposes, and I think Alex is right. Then we get to verses 8 and 9, and it says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they will be as frontlets between your eyes. Verse 9, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 8 through 9. And if you've ever been to Israel or been in an Orthodox Jewish community, you'll notice that they put a little box on their forehead like the boy in this picture, okay? And do you see on the man's hand there, a little box that's on the back of his hand, his finger there? Those have scriptures in them. I don't think that's what God intended us to do, to run around with a box on our head and a box on our... uh, hand. I'm not knocking these guys. But I think the idea here is that God wants that to govern my mind. God wants God's Word to govern my mind, to be right in my frontal lobe, to be right there where it's going to govern the things that I talked about in Hebrews 4.12. Secondly, what's this business on my hand? Maybe it is that God's Word will control what I do. The conduct conduct that I involve myself in. That's the Lord telling us that you put God's word in your heart. You keep it near to your mind. So you're thinking in tandem with him. So you're acting in tandem with him. And I think that's probably what these things mean. So what if I had no father? What if I had a father that was horrible? How does this apply to you today? Okay. Okay. The way it applies to you today is because God tells us in his word that he is the father of the fatherless and a protector of widows. That is who God is in his holy habitation. We might have messed up. We might have not got things perfect. We might have had a dad that we never even knew. Okay. But I'm here today to tell you that the word of God says that he can be a father to the fatherless. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, Psalm 2710, but the Lord will take me in. We may be forsaken by father and mother, but it's God who is an everlasting father who loves us and cares for us. And then Isaiah 9, 6, I just put that in because it says everlasting father, prince of peace. With that, the idea is that this fatherhood goes on and on and on and it's forever. And then I kind of like this and I sort of wanted to end with this today. There's a little verse in James that we don't hear much. It's James 1.17, that every good gift, that means anything good, okay? And every perfect gift, it comes from God, all right? And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no shadow of turning. What does shadow of turning mean? It means His love never changes. His love is not fickle. It doesn't look this way one minute and then rock back that way. It's steadfast. The love of the Lord is steadfast, okay? And it doesn't ever change. So today, I just want to say that if you are still fathering, and I'm looking at Sam. Sam, you've got a guideline now, man, to stick up in your house. You can say these three rules. I'm a man who's wild at heart, Heather. <laughs> Heather, don't try to control me. Just pray for me. All right. You wouldn't be crazy enough to try to control this guy. He, he's got an incredible wild heart. I love this man. He called me years ago, and I told him, I, I said, I remember where I was the moment you called me. I was standing in a dealership over in the woodlands, and I got this call from Sam, little Sam Robinson who went to school with my kids, and he was saying, Faber, tell me about when you did mission work down in Central America. There was a hunger in Sam's soul to be doing that thing that God called him to do. And God brought him a helpmate who helps him in that with the farming principles that he teaches and he does. And so, Lord, the first thing is, Sam, you said, God, I want to love you with all my heart. He and Heather met. I'm sorry if I'm speaking out of turn here. And he said, Heather, our relations can't go any further because you don't know the Lord like I do. She's shaking her head. Yeah, is it okay if I talk about this? And she said, I'm in if I want this man who I see God reflected in, then I'm going to come to Jesus. I don't know if that's kind of how it worked in your mind, but it got you thinking anyway. And there you were. Then Sam had this helpmate. And so, Sam, you love the Lord with all your heart. You guys are intent on knowing His Word personally, okay? And you're diligent about teaching. Are your kids rowdy and ruckus and run up and down the halls? Yeah, they do. But you know what? That's because they're wild at heart. It's going to take a while for you just to learn how to steer them and direct them, how to shoot them in the right direction, moray, teaching. That's how you parent. You teach. And even kids are talked in the Old Testament like arrows, arrows in a man's quiver. I mean, y'all can go look that up. It's in there. I don't know where that is. And so our job as dads, guys, is to shoot them down the right path. Sometimes you got to grab them by the neck and shoot them in the other direction, right? Part of what it is, I had to do that and I, I continue to do that. Oh, what a joy it is when we can just do what God's Word tells us to do. So I want to encourage you, don't be all beat up on yourself if your kid's all screwed up in a big mess and you wonder, how did I do this? You know, kids also have a free will, and they choose. They can be raised in the best family. Uh, Devin has ministered to this young lady and tried to help her many years. Who's a drug addict and all this. She was raised in the home with a pastor who was her father. And see, now as a homeless woman, I guess, out there walking the streets in Oklahoma. So, that is a personal choice that people make. So, don't beat up on yourself if you shared the Lord with your kids and they didn't take. Sometimes they don't. But at least you can know that you did your part. Amen? And if you didn't do it with your own kids, then let's do it with nephews or do it with grandkids and realize that our game is not up. We are in the fourth quarter. We're not in the sundown of our lives. We're in the quarter, so what did I always say about the coach? He always messes up when he plays the last quarter safe. Let's don't do it safe. Let's do it wild at heart, depending on the Holy Spirit, guys, to show us and keep us and direct us in how we become the leaders that we are to be in our homes. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for this word that comes to us from Deuteronomy six, Lord. Uh, just thank you for what you've shown us this morning. And I pray that we would now take it, inwardly digest it, Lord, and we would be an influence on young people around us, whether they are our biological children or, Lord, whether they're children that are just in our uh, sphere of influence. Help us and guide us, we pray. And I pray, Lord, that no one would leave this t- place today feeling guilty or upset or defeated because we know that in you there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you for that, and I thank you for your ability to redeem even when we don't get things right. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing good, good,